Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. I like it a lot. You're excited? Feel these nipples. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun though, isn't it? Gangsters, what's up guys? That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. Those goofy bastards are just about the best thing I've got going in this crazy world. Woo! I'm the man. Woo! You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. What is up, Kentuckiana? And welcome to another exciting edition of Triple Threat Talk right here on 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. How you doing? Jimmy Biggers with you in the house tonight. And uh, my producer TK Trevor with me. Trevor, does it seem a little quiet in here to you? Does it, does it smells a little lemony fresh? I know it, that it does seem a little quieter. We're missing somebody. Uh, 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 Doc, are, are you with us? Gary, are you with us, buddy? I, I think so. I, I think you've got me. Okay, all right. We're am, I in the, am I in an episode of the Twilight Zone? We got you, but can we return you? No, you can't. <laughs> Sorry. We're here with our our good pal and co-host Gary Lockard, who's joined us via satellite, I guess you could say, uh, from from the uh, Florida studios of New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Doc, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. We're broadcasting from the clubhouse of the beautiful Errol by the Sea, right off of here on New Smyrna Beach. Uh, it was funny. We were going through town yesterday, and uh, remember the song of uh, um, uh, MC Hammer or not uh, Vanilla Ice talking I, about? I was about to guess A- Crash A- Test Dummies because the way you A- described A- it. <laughs> A1A Detroit Avenue. Uh, I found nope. A1A. Well, there you go. I'm the go- stuff you put on your saw, a steak? Yes, it's A1 sauce. <laughs> By the way, Trevor, uh, happy National Dog Day. I know you, you only get this day once a year, so happy National Dog Day. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. My dogs will, will, will be uh, will, glad to hear that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure and pass that along to Bristol. Let her know uh, you, know, you sent her sentiments of happy dog day as well. Your dog's name is Bristol. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> M- my wife named it. And that's sure her favorite. She did. That, you know, she really did. Is that, that because is that why I didn't mean name Stuart? No, well, it's a girl. You can't name a, a girl dog Stuart. Well, you can name a girl Tony, apparently. Well, yeah, but you have to spell it with an I and not a Y. It, it wouldn't be the same thing. But I, I like where you're going, Trevor. Oh, I really you like do. that? Did yeah. you get that? Though? I got that. Okay. I got it. No, if you I, got it. I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. No, Don't okay, worry. it was two days ago. Okay, yeah, it was two days ago. <laughs> you got. <it. laughs> so coming up on tonight's show, we preview the AFC East. Uh, from the Pats pulpit and SB Nation, Alex Shane will be stopping by at around 9.15 to talk a little Patriots football. Around 9.45, New York Jets super fan. And what I mean by super fan, he could probably tell us what Rex Ryan had for lunch yesterday. Terry Bodie will be stopping by at 9.45. And then at 10.05 from the Finn Cider and SB Nation, Kevin Noggle will be stopping by to talk a little Miami Dolphins football. All that and more, plus your phone calls at 502-384-1450. 502-384-1450 is the number to get in touch with us here on the uh, hotline. So, Doc, i got to ask you, how's the weather been down there? Been treating you all right? 
It's been treating us pretty good. The The weather kind of broke uh, into a rain, but it's okay because I got a chance to work on notes and not feel bad about it because I was like, ah, man, I got to do some work and the beautiful weather. But no, it turned out that Mother Nature had other plans. I feel so sorry for you. Let me tell you. I am Thank just, you. Yes, I really do. The fact that you're just laying on the beach, drinking a beer and doing work notes is, you know... You, you, it's, you, you, it's a privileged life you live. I, I, I know. I, Rock you know, star I status. Almost, I almost feel guilty. I know. I know. I almost feel guilty. Yeah, well, in saying that, we're, we are actually going to go ahead and take an early break here uh, because our guest, Alex Shane, is going to join us at around the quarter after Mark. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to be joined by Alex Shane of the Pat's Pulpit from SBNation.com. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. Triple Threat Talk, 1450, the Sports Buzz, WXVW. We'll be right back. And welcome back here on Triple Threat Talk, 1450, the Sports Buzz, WXVW. And what proper way to welcome on our next guest with a little dropkick Murphys, uh, of course. And we're joined now by Alex Shane of the Pat's Pulpit, SBNation.com. Alex, how are you doing tonight, sir? I am great. How are you? Uh, doing fine. We appreciate you taking time out to, to join us here, talk a little Patriots football. Uh, Doc? One, of, one of the few things I do well. All right, all right. <laughs> Um, well, uh, Mr. Shane, we wanted to ask, I guess we should address the elephant in the room first. What is the latest on the Tom Brady situation? And also, I guess kind of to piggyback onto that, are there any apparent separations in the locker room due to the whole situation? Tom Brady situation? Well, what are you talking about? I have not heard a single <laughs> thing about Tom Brady all season. I'm sorry, on? it's the Jimmy Garoppolo situation. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you know, obviously, this deflate gate has been on the forefront of everyone's mind. In terms of what's great about the Patriots is there's really no better organization that could have happened to because it is business as usual in the locker room at Gillette Stadium and training camp. No one's talking about it. No one's thinking about it. Nobody really cares. Everyone's on the field doing their job. And knowing the players as people do, there just hasn't been any talk of it whatsoever. So they're very good at separating business from reality, and I'm excited to say that the play gate really isn't an issue as far as the pace is concerned. If you were Tom Brady, what would you do with this situation? Would you fight it to the bitter end, or would you take the suspension and go? I mean, there's, there's really no reason not to keep fighting this. I feel that even if the, the, the problem is, in my opinion, in the court of public opinion, he was 100% guilty and nothing he's ever done is worthwhile and he's after a city. That happened about 30 seconds after that first tweet came out in January. So the damage is done in that respect. From here, it's just a matter of clearing his name and making it seem even more obvious that the, the NFL completely mishandled this investigation. They did a really bad job with their, their studies and their, their follow-ups. And he's got nothing to lose in terms of going to the mat with this. I think that the, the meetings between Judge Berman, the NFLPA lawyers, the NFL lawyers, Berman is staunchly 
hammering the NFL right now, and things are looking good for him in terms of the lawsuit. So there's no reason for him not to fight this all the way to the to the end. And the fact that it wasn't even reduced in any capacity gives him even more reason to do so. Because I, at this point, I can't even see a scenario where he serves all four games. So why not take it all the way? Um. Well, on that note. Uh... Uh, at least offensively, at least you guys are still looking pretty good offensively for a team. Uh, you know, you guys finished fourth in points last year. You guys returned Gronk, uh, Amendola and Edelman, and you also signed Reggie Wayne. Um, with LaFell out though, and Edelman unsure if he can play in week one and an injury prone Amendola, what is the outlook going into the first four games, which are the first four games of Brady being questionable to play, and uh, you know some other question marks about Edelman and all that? What, what is, what's the outlook kind of offensively for the first four games? Yeah, it's tough to answer. Obviously, a lot of that does depend on Brady's suspension. Will he suit up? Will he not suit up? The good news is Jimmy Garoppolo had a very solid game against the New Orleans Saints this past week and he looked really, really solid against them. So there is a quarterback who can come in and step in if necessary. And the first-team offense has been injured, as you said. They haven't really seen the field much, and it's really a, a lot of moving pieces are up in the air without a whole lot of concrete answers. But the good news is that Bill Belichick's one of the best in the league at adjusting, at playing the hand he's dealt. And I can see the Patriots, should they have trouble in the passing game, should Brady not be under center, should they be relying on Garoppolo, they can use a lot of running game packages. Their running game is pretty strong. Lloyd Garrett Blunt is back. Jonas Gray is having a good preseason. They've got James White, the second-year player, who is having a good preseason. They signed Tavares Cadet from New Orleans. They have a lot of pieces in the backfield to do the kind of grind them out, control the clock, solid possession game that can lead to the point that they need to win the games. And the tight end situation is actually pretty solid as well. They signed Scott Chandler from Buffalo this past offseason. Gronk is at full strength. He hasn't seen the field yet. Hopefully he won't all preseason. They bubble wrap him until it's time to get him back out there. Um, and they just made the, the trade for for Asante Cleveland from, from the 49ers. So if Brady is out, I see him doing a lot of ground and pound, a lot of controlling the clock, and using those short intermediate routes with the tight ends. How will Reggie Wayne fit in with this uh, Patriots offense, and how has the reaction been amongst the players and fans, for that matter, with his arrival? I love Reggie Wayne. I always have. The Patriots pursued him pretty hard last season, but obviously his heart's in Indianapolis, where it should be, because that's where his career was made. I think he's a fantastic third or fourth option. His speed isn't there anymore. He can't really get the separation in man coverage but he's still very savvy in zone. He reads zones like a book. And I think once him and Tom Brady get that chemistry, he can be a very solid third or fourth option. The only concern we have in New England with Reggie Wayne, besides his age and durability, is he's a slot guy. He always has been a slot guy, and he excels there. And he has another speed to go on the outside. And with Amendola, with Edelman, they already have those slot receivers kind of locked up. So the question mark remains is how effective Reggie Wayne can be on the field at the same time as Edelman and Amendola, and whether he's more of a, a specialty package guy. But it really, time will tell with that. He just got to New England. He really hasn't had much time to acclimate to the offense yet. He said he feels like a rookie in a recent interview he just did. And so it's all about how quickly he learns the playbook and how quickly him, him and Tom Brady can develop that, that rapport that he needs to have so much. Jimmy Garoppolo uh, at the helm of the quarterback at the moment, obviously, with everything that's going on. What has been his progression during this training camp and in the offseason? And how much, how much of a change do you think it would be if, in fact, we would see Garoppolo in over Brady? Well, one thing Garoppolo has improved that significantly, this offseason particularly, is two things. It's been selling the play action. He was a little weaker last season at effectively selling the play action, which is a very important part of the Patriots' offense. And he also wasn't 
stellar at hitting those middle routes toward the center of the field where the guys cut in off the post and they do the read option on the safety and cut to the middle part of the field for the zone. Garoppolo tends to like to go outside and he likes to go deep block. He's a very good deep ball. So if he is the guy under center come week one, I see Garoppolo going to take advantage of those, of those middle and, and, and intermediate routes Selling that play action because, like I said earlier in this interview, we're going to be relying on that run game a lot more. I see a lot of big packages, a lot of multiple tight end sets, a lot of deep along the offensive line, and it's controlling the clock and making sure they simplify the playbook, make things very easy for Jimmy G. He doesn't have to go through any kind of elaborate, elaborate schemes because the first four games of the season, you've got Pittsburgh, you've got Buffalo, you've got Jacksonville, you've got Dallas. Three of those four teams have very difficult to figure out defenses, so it's important to simplify that playbook and make sure Garoppolo never seems too lost out there. Talking to Alex Shane of the Patriots pulpit. Alex, you you mentioned uh, the running game, especially leaning heavily on it. And last couple of years, I like to mostly use these interviews for my fantasy uh, selfishness in terms of my drafts coming up this weekend. And I'm going to stick with that in this case scenario as well. Uh, it's been kind of a rotating door, all good, but rotating someone in the running back position the last couple of years. But now it's a different situation. Legarrette like Blunt looks to be the number one guy, but has been kind of banged up in preseason. Where do you see as him being the main number one guy? as long as he can stay healthy, or do you see a Jonas Gray or even a James White or even maybe someone else that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, maybe step up and be that number one guy in the head running back in this monster? Yeah, in terms of a the day one starter, it definitely is LeGarrette Blount, although he's serving that one-game suspension in the first se- first game of this season from his time last year with the Steelers, him and then yeah. Le'Veon Bell are both out. But in terms of from a fantasy perspective, Blunt is the number one running back. Now, how effective he's going to be is really, really up in the air because the Patriots are so game plan specific. You know, they'll throw the ball 50 times in one game and then they'll run the ball 50 times in the next game. And so it's so dependent on the defense they're facing that it's very hard to constantly start any real Patriots running back because it's also the kind of situation where LeGarrette Blunt can get you all the way down to the end zone, down to the one-yard line, and they send in Jonas Gray to, to, to vulture those, those touchdowns. So I personally wouldn't put too much faith in any of the Patriots running backs as your number one guy. I see Blunt uh, a low-end number two, high-end number three running back. And other than that, if you're in a PPR league, I think James White is a guy that can be had late in the, late in the draft He's kind of the new Shane Vereen guy, the third down back, the pass catching back, they can motion out wide. So if you're in a PPR league, look for James White late as a nice sleeper pick. Speaking of a PPR league, I don't know, I didn't, maybe I missed you saying his name, but I heard you talking about some of the receivers, and one name I do want to know about is Aaron Dobson. Really kind of had a nice rookie year, injuries last year, missed time. Is this going to be kind of a flash in the pants, kind of the first-year guy, or are we going to maybe expect to see something more out of him? this year, especially with some of the aging receivers around him? You know, I really hope that Dobson has a chance to break out. I think he was, all the guys that are hurt right now, with Edelman banged up, with LaFelt banged up, they just placed receiver Brandon Gibson on IR, which is too bad. He's having a great preseason. He's one of the Josh McDaniels holdovers. He really likes that guy. The, the door was wide open for Dobson to come on and shine this preseason, but as has been the case for his entire career, pretty much, he, he can't stay healthy. He's had a lagging foot injury. He's got a hamstring injury right now. He just can't see the field. The Patriots have that coveted preseason week three game this coming Friday against the Carolina Panthers. And if Dobson can't stay on the field for that or he can't get on the field for that, his spot could be in jeopardy. I mean, I, I do see them giving him one more year, but after a solid, promising rookie season, he's completely disappeared. He can't stay healthy. And if you can't stay healthy, you have no spot on this roster. The receivers, the young guys, the Chris Harpers and the Jonathan Krauses, the guys that are taking advantage of the chances they're given, usually Belichick values that. And if Dobson, despite the fact he was a second-round pick, Dobson can't stay healthy, 
I don't think he's much longer for this team. But I think he's got one more year, and hopefully this Friday against the Panthers will be his chance to prove why he belongs on the roster. And I guess on the flip side, of because it's all one unit when you do it fantasy-wise, uh, what are the, if any, major biggest question marks going into this season on the defensive side of things as well as the biggest concern, or are they the same thing? I mean, the big concern, obviously, the loss of Brandon Browner, yeah. the loss of Darrell Rivas. It leaves a lot of questions in the secondary. The good news is the secondary that the Patriots have have been having a pretty solid preseason. It's obviously tough to tell. You've got backups going against backups, so you really can't glean. But it was New Orleans and Green Bay, at least, though. So, I mean, you can put hang your head yeah. on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think that Malcolm Butler is, is slated as the number one cornerback on the, on the outside. There's kind of a battle right now for the other outside cornerback position. Bradley Fletcher is in there. Robert McClain is in there. The two free agents they signed. Logan Ryan, the second-year guy, is, is in the mix as well. But the question mark is is the secondary. They also have uh, Terrell Brown, who they signed from the, the Oakland Raiders this past year. But the secondary remains a question mark. The good news is the flip side is the front seven, I think, is going to be one of the better units in the NFL this year. They have a very solid front four. They brought in Jabal Sheard. I think that was a very under-the-radar free agent pickup this last season, this past offseason. Chandler Jones is, is, is a solid player. Malcolm Brown is an absolute draft steal at number 32. No one thought he'd be around that late. They have Dominique Easley coming back healthy for the first time. They have a lot of pieces along that front line that can move around and generate a lot of havoc with the, with the pass rush. Not to mention a very solid linebacking core in Gerard Mayo, who's back from injury, Dante Hightower, and freak athlete Jamie Collins. So that front seven, in theory, on paper at least, should be enough to generate enough pass rush that the, the DBs don't have to cover for five, six, seven seconds. So the question mark is the secondary, obviously, but hopefully the pass rush and front seven will make up for any lack of skill in that area. All right, all right. So asking you this, do you think there will be any type of Super Bowl hangover with this team? Do you think you know that's past them? Uh, I know you know Belichick is a pretty straight nose and you know with the book type coach. So what do you think their approach will be into this season? Do you think they could repeat last season's success and make it to the Super Bowl and win it again? Get Tom Brady his fifth Super Bowl and become the all-time winningest quarterback in Super Bowl history. Uh, what what are your expectations for the Patriots this season? They absolutely can repeat. I think the AFC East is a very weak division. I don't think any team that can really touch down the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills. I don't think they're really in New England's league, even without Tom Brady for the first quarter of the season. And looking at the AFC as a whole, there are only maybe three or four teams, maybe the Broncos, the Colts, the Steelers, the Ravens, and possibly the Chargers, if you want to get really generous, that can, that can really hang with New England in the, in the playoff race. So I see no reason why they can't make it at least to another AFC championship game. 11-5, and 12-4, and 10-6 and are all very reasonable. They're definitely going to win the AFC East. It's really just a matter of can they get that one, number one seed, get that number two seed, get that first-round bye that you need to have so much to get your guys some rest late in the season. But in terms of Super Bowl hangover, I think Belichick is one of those coaches. He doesn't let that happen. And the guys on this team, the roster turnover, the people, the leadership in, their, in the locker rooms and whatnot, I think of all the teams that, can, that are in danger of suffering from Super Bowl hangover, the Patriots are very low on that list. It's because of how the roster that Belichick has built and the culture that he's built inside that, that front office. Alex Shane from the PatriotsPulpit.com SB Nation. Alec, appreciate your time, bud. Thanks for dropping by, talking a little Patriots football. We'd love to chat up with you again real soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That was Alex Shane from the Patriots Pulpit and SBNation.com. Good stuff there, guys. Uh, Doc, uh, what was the biggest thing you took away from that interview? Seems like to me he's not too concerned about Tom Brady, nor the uh, – nor is he too concerned about the safeties. He seems like the Patriots got it shored up, and he's thinking a good possible repeat by the Patriots this season. I think the biggest thing I took away from it was 
that, you know, not only is he, you know, not too concerned with those things, he's also not too concerned with a couple of the other teams in the division. And I think that may be a mistake, especially pertaining to one specific team that we'll talk about a little bit later on. And I'll uh, bring it up then, kind of hang a hat on the spoiler right there. But I definitely think that there is one specific team in this division that, uh, that you need to be afraid of this year if you're New England. And uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I do think that it is possible that they can make it back to the playoffs. And I do think it's possible they win the division. But I'm not ready to give it to them just yet. I I, I think they'll win the division. Uh, I see no reason why they can't. I mean, obviously the team I think you're talking about has a good chance to to be in there and maybe get a wild card. But I think this is the Patriots' division to lose even – if Tom Brady misses four games, especially if he misses the first four games, I think at worst, or at, at worst, they're going to go maybe two and two. I don't think they're going to have much of an issue here. And whether we're repeated Super Bowl champions, uh, that might be a different story, but it is possible. Trev, what do you think? I'm thinking, I'm wondering why you two are trying to be secretive about who you think you might out, uh, dethrone the Patriots when it can be anybody except the Jets anyway. I don't know either. I mean, you but basically, you're basically knowing it's the Dolphins I, or Bills because no one, no one knows it. Everyone I, knows it's not going to be the Jets. I, I guess Doc <laughs> wants to leave us on a cliffhanger. Hey, it's a cliffhanger. It, no, know? it's a coin flip is what it is. Because it's, <laughs> it's either the Dolphins or the Bills. There's no third party involved in this. This might be triple threat talk, but it's a two teaching party when it comes to attacking the Patriots. There you go. There you go. Uh, but back to the original pages. Uh, in terms of, I guess, what we took from the end, I took the fact that, I, like every other year, I'm staying away from the running back situation in fantasy football from the Patriots. Uh, and much oh, you got to go Jonas Gray, man. Uh, that guy's a beast. The only the only thing Gray I'm going is the beard on that growing on my face. It's uh, outside that. It's uh, that's about it. It is and, getting Duck Dynasty like. And I could I could make a Legarrette Blunt joke too for the same reference, but I'm going <laughs> to stay away from that one. Uh, so no, I mean I, as long as Brady, the first four games you look at, obviously are going to be not the most in most easy when you tie Brady out of the situation, and especially since two of them are on the road, one in Buffalo and one in Dallas. I, I mean, I don't know if we're doing predictions, but I mean, the Patriots to me still with Brady coming back. I mean, even if they go zero and four and that start the schedule they have, I mean, they with Brady, no matter what you have around him, is good enough to me to still win, win out and even win nine or ten games. Yeah, I mean, they they open the season against the Steelers, but it is at home. Uh, if Brady doesn't play, I think they lose that game. And the Steelers don't have Le'Veon Bell. No, they don't have Le'Veon Bell. So, so. I mean, it's not like they're they're not like completely obviously one hundred percent strength as well and. Buffalo is always a tough place to play. Jacksonville is basically a bye week. Then they actually have a bye week. Right, yeah. Uh, even though I do make jokes, but Jacksonville I think will be better this year, but not that good, especially the fact that it's in New England. And like and, and, and like uh, Alex said, I mean, with the, with the defense, the front seven, I agree with him. The front seven is as good as you're going to find in the NFL, especially when as much as I think Belichick is most, one of the more overrated head coaches in NFL history, he is still also one of the best defensive minds in NFL history, which is what makes him lead to be so overrated. Uh, the defense doesn't scare me one. I mean, doesn't. I'm not worried about the defense one bit, even with the losses of Browner and 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 uh, Reyes in the backfield in the secondary because they let them go and they knew they were. He's letting them go right. because they knew they could be replaced by a system more so than just individual and, players. And I'm, I'm looking at their schedule here, Trevor. Now it seems like there's only three games I'd be worried about here, and they're all road games. They play at Indy, at Denver, and at Houston. Those are the, and, they, and they play at Dallas, so four. I'm sorry, four games. So yeah, they play Philadelphia too. So you might want to worry about that. Uh, that's a guaranteed win. We're not worried yeah. about that. We're not worried about the Eagles here. Nobody at, uh, <laughs> at the Bills too. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah. In, any of their road games, basically, honestly, all the road games, and including in this is I make jokes, but including the Jets, 
are going to be tough games for this Patriot team. I mean, anytime you play on the road in your division, it's always going to be tough. Absolutely. So speaking of the Bills, Doc, you had an interesting take, and we'll move to them next, uh, about the Buffalo Bills, and you, you shared that with me before the show. What was that take regarding uh, the Buffalo Bills? Well, the Buffalo Bills, since we're talking about them right now, that's um, that's the team that I think might be able to kind of come up and, and beat the Patriots, and here's why. Uh, outside, you know, once again, we see a line here, an offensive line that needs a little bit shoring up for protection. Kyle Orton last year. Now, keep in mind, their quarterback will not be Kyle Orton this year, but that doesn't really play out of what I'm trying to say. Kyle Orton last year was sacked 33 times. They only add two new additions to that line. One of them is the veteran Richie Incognito, who is meh at best, and third-round draft pick out of Louisville, John Miller. I don't look too much for that sack situation to change. If anything, I look for the quarterback here to be sacked a little bit more than 33 times. However, if this line can come together and not allow as many hurries and especially sacks, they have some very capable receivers. Truth be told, probably some of the probably one of the deadliest combos in the league was Sammy Watkins and Percy Harvin, both very talented receivers. Defensively, they're looking pretty good, coming off a year ranking fourth and fourth in years in yards and points allowed, respectively. And also, second-round pick Ronald Darby will be playing behind Leotis McCalvin at the cornerback position. So one of the big things that you also want to look out for are back on the offensive side of things. So look out for that backfield as well. You've got Shady, LaShawn McCoy back there, and you've got Fred Jackson. They call Fred X because he delivers. Two talented running backs go along with two talented receivers. If I'm a Buffalo fan, I'm very optimistic this year. If they can capitalize on the stress of the Patriots, they may be able to take this division. At the very least, take a wild card. This is one of their visions that I'm thinking a wild card might come out of. The only drawback, however, probably my pick for the most overrated head coach in history in NFL history, Rex Ryan. Now, Rex wait, Ryan, let me ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. Why is Rex Ryan overrated? Because look at the last couple times with the Jets. People always people talk always, you know, Rex Ryan this, Rex Ryan that. People were excited when he came to Buffalo. I don't see where the excitement is. Outside of two AFC Championship game appearances, um, you know, I, I've never really seen much out of Rex Ryan as a head coach. Now, keep in mind, there's a difference between a head coach and a defensive coordinator. I think he's terrible as a head coach. However, I think he's a fantastic, fantastic defensive mind and a great defensive coordinator. But I just don't see much. He's never really shown me much out of the head coaching position. And I think when people put Rex Ryan on that pedestal, his ego often gets in the way of things. I'm not – I'm not – I'm not sold ever on Rex Ryan being a good, uh, being a good coach. Um, you know, he's, he's got, he, he was helped quite a bit defensively and a little bit by Mark Sanchez, the first, those two championship games that he brought themselves to, you know, and I, I'm just not sold very much on Rex Ryan. I can't stress that enough. You know, if I'm Buffalo Bills, I'm not excited that Rex Ryan's there. I'm nervous because you saw what he did to the Jets. The Jets, have still, you know, the, the Jets had five, six years to try to make something of themselves, and they never did. And, you know, the the Jets have become the punchline of the, of the NFL, uh, and and that's still not I wouldn't, getting I would, Wait a minute. I wouldn't say the NFL by no means. I, wouldn't. I, I would. Hold, hold on, hold on. I, I've been, I've been, I got so many things to address in, the, in this last round <laughs> that I don't even know where to start. <laughs> first, first of all, I've got, I actually wrote it down. I took notes over here. I was doing it because I was going to forget in the middle of you talking. 
Uh, first of all, uh, Fred Jackson is not the not the Fred X. He's the Pony Express because he's out of date and, and way too old. <laughs> so, 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 second, Percy Harvin. Come on now. Fred Jackson's a very capable per, Percy, running back. Per, Percy Harvin is a solid wide receiver, but he's not even their number two guy. That's Robert Woods out of Oklahoma State, who's an underrated wide receiver. I agree to that, be, And will be their number two guy. Percy Harvin's more of the slot guy. But I do agree in, in your overall ex- and evaluation of a deadly combination. You just left out the wrong number two. Second of all, I, while I do agree with you that, that Ryan is a little overrated by the hype that he does get, he's not a bad coach. He's a very good coach. And to say that he's outside of only going to two AFC title games, I hate to tell you, there's about 90% of coaches out there that would give their left you-know-what to go to two AFC Absolutely. title games. Let, let even me ask you this. And third let, and let fourth most, go ahead, go the ahead. only thing that is, I think was ever made you sound more silly than trying to d- defend Tim Tebow as a good quarterback to me was by saying that Mark Sanchez carried that team in some way and helped them go. I didn't say he carried and it. Helped I said them. in addition to the defense. Mark Sanchez is awful. Okay, I would rather have Jim Abbott as my quarterback than Mark <laughs> Sanchez. I would rather have Ryan Leaf as my quarterback, but that doesn't change the fact I didn't say he cha- he carried that team. What I said was with, in combination with the he, defense. He carried their luggage maybe even you road games. Go, you can go back <laughs> and listen. He, you know, you can't. You can't make it to the championship game without good quarterback play. Mark Sanchez is terrible now, but back then, you know, go look at the tape. He wasn't. No, he I, t- was I tell you right now, I, the only compliment- a difference between Sanchez now and Sanchez then, and there is a good difference. There's a huge difference between Sanchez now and Sanchez then. Sanchez then was a capable quarterback. Something no, changed. No. Probably the butt fumble. Now, now you're forgetting the San Francisco 49ers made it to an NFC title, and all they have is Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, but Colin I mean, Kaepernick is an amazing quarterback. No, he's That's not. Oh, First yes, of all, I will say this about Mark Sanchez. He, he does do, he is, there's one exceptional thing about him. He's the only person I know that is capable of sucking and blowing at the same time. <laughs> That's the only thing I can say about Mark Sanchez. So he, he is an extraordinary athlete in that way. Now, and with, the, with the quarterback uh, combination at Buffalo, they have – Matt Castle, Tyrod Taylor, who was Matt, um, the backup Virginia for the Baltimore Tech. Ravens, yeah. backup for the Baltimore Ravens, and then you had EJ Manuel. Last season with Kyle Orton and EJ Manuel, they went nine and seven. Do you is Matt Castle an improvement over Kyle Orton, or is it a downgrade? What do you think? Uh, I'll go real quick since uh, I know he likes Buffalo. I'll say it's not, it doesn't really matter. It's a parallel move, but the fact that the Buffalo did improve every – and I think Richie Incognito is a little better than you give him credit for. I think so too. Uh, but I don't think he's awesome, but he's an improvement over what they have. I don't uh-huh. know, better than uh, – but uh, but with him, LaShawn McCoy also being added to the mix – you add you. I did upgrade the offensive line list with Richie. I don't know how much Jeremy uh, Miller, the kid from rookie Louisville, will and you have out. one of the best centers in the league. And you hopefully maybe defensively still continue to improve, especially under Ryan as your defensive coach. I don't think the quarterback. I, th- I don't think they went take, took a step backwards, but they didn't take a step forward. Right. But they improved around him in other positions, which is why they'll be a better team. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So with that, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to have the fan advocate Terry Bodie. Stopping by to talk a little New York Jets football. That's next. Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Jamming it out here on Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. Get ready to talk a little Jets football, and we will do that with a good, dear friend of the shows. This gentleman has done a lot for not only myself, but my good pal and co-host Gary, the Dr. Lockard. 
our good pal and friend, Mr. Terry Bodie. Terry, how you doing tonight, sir? I am doing well. I am doing well. How are you guys? And thank you so much for having me on. What a I am so excited. First of all, let me just say how proud of you guys in Triple Threat Talk that I am uh, from uh, days of doing videos in the living room and football videos uh, on YouTube to you guys being on the radio. So I'm so proud of you guys. Congratulations on your success. Uh, thank you for the kind words, Terry. We appreciate it, and we also appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule because we know the fan advocate is one busy guy. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm very blessed. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, with a lot of different things. Uh, kind of stepped away from uh, OVW as much, but uh, you know, my heart and soul is still there. I uh, got a lot of things going on, but I mean, I am stoked. I am ready for some football, and uh, definitely ready to uh, uh, take on this new season. Well. Speaking of football, Terry, uh, sometimes sometimes it just sucks to put things like this. Well, all the time it does, but uh, Geno Smith being lost, let's face it, not that big of a deal as he wasn't that good of a quarterback. Do you see his success for, his success for Ryan Fitzpatrick or even some speculation of Matt Flynn getting the nod? Do you see them maybe taking that job permanently until maybe Geno is ready? Um, I do. I, I don't – there – Todd Bowles and everybody has already said that, uh, got on record saying, you know, the job isn't automatically his when he comes back. Um, I think Gino suffered um, a lot of what Mark Sanchez did in the sense that the Jets never really had a um, rushing, I mean, excuse me, never had a passing game to begin with. Uh, you look at last year, the Jets were last in passing but they were first in the AFC and I believe first in the NFL, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in rushing. Um, I think, you know, that was, a, that was a big problem. He didn't have any receivers to throw to. You know, I think the addition this year of Brandon Marshall, um, the, drafting, uh, the drafting of Devin Smith when he's healthy, the re- wide receiver from uh, Ohio State, uh, will definitely help to whoever is in that quarterback role success. I think what Fitzpatrick brings is that veteran experience to not turn over the ball and not feel like he's got to win the game all on himself. Um, I, I don't know if Geno has that mentality yet. You know, when he was at West Virginia, it was, it was just sling it up, chuck it. It was almost like you're playing in the backyard, sling it up, chuck it, and, you know, somebody will catch it. You know, that doesn't work in the NFL. Um, it, especially if you don't have receivers and he never had that luxury. So, um, I think, I think Fitzpatrick will hold that job. Um, I like the addition of Matt Flynn. Um, I think he's somebody who's a solid backup. You know, uh, you look at some of the players that, that were there, uh, Taj Boyd who, and, and Michael Vick, who were, uh, both with the, who are both with the Steelers now. So, I mean, there's some quality people that that uh, could be there. But I'm excited about what Matt Flynn can do. Uh, Brett Favre took a dive for Michael Strand, so you might be one of the few people that believe and agree with me that Mark Gaston is still the all-time sack leader for most sacks in a season. 
That being said, <laughs> I'm still. Hey, I have on a trivia show. I'm still answering Mark Astin if that's the question. I don't care what. You're oh, saying. I, I love Mark Astin. I, I I once met Mark Gasnow in a mall and got his autograph when they were doing training camp. I love the sack exchange. Well, um, I think I think I put that fear. I put that foursome uh, up against almost any defensive line foursome. You know, around that time frame, they were dominant. Well, speaking of the sack, let's, do, let's talk sack exchange 2.0. Uh, number six pick, Leonard Williams, kind of falls maybe a little bit to the Jets at number six. What kind of impact do you see out of him? And I don't know, it's also on a local aspect on the defensive side, anything you've heard positive coming from third-round pick Lorenzo Molden, the uh, former <laughs> defensive end, actually former quarterback in high school of all things, now outside sure. linebacker for the, for the Jets. I love both of these picks. Um, I think Leonard Williams is going to be a beast. I think uh, you plug him into the line. There were definitely some questions uh, with that line. You had Sheldon Richardson and his situation. Um, Muhammad Wilkerson, you weren't sure. You know, there were some questions about some of those. Um, I think Leonard Williams comes in, and he's going to – he's a game changer. He was, the best af- he was the best athlete available on the board. And the fact that he was still around at six um, is a gift, and I'm so excited for what the Jets are going to be able to do with that. I think if he learns, I think we saw a glimpse of that in the last preseason game against Atlanta, um, getting the safety, being just, just, in just being a student of what they're going to learn at the Jets and being a student of the program and not coming in going, I know everything. He's just come in and immersed himself. Um, as far as uh, Lorenzo Molden goes, I absolutely think he is a sleeper in that. Um, he's right now he's right now second on the depth chart um, for outside linebacker, um, which is going to be something where he might be a little bit slower uh, as far as developing or opportunity. But he's doing fantastic, um, and plus everybody in New York loves his story. I mean, you look at him, a guy who was in 16 different foster homes, a guy who has struggled and could have been the statistic in so many other areas, but he worked hard and he earned everything he's gotten. Um, the fact that he, the fact that he's in with the jets, there's some great defensive minds and he's going to learn the game. And I think they're going to be fantastic. I think they're both going to have long careers. Uh, in New York. I mean, Molden is second behind Calvin Pace. Uh, Again, somebody who you can learn from, a veteran that he can learn from and and be mentored from. I'm excited. You know what I love the most? I love how you you ranked Sheldon Richardson's problems as, you know, run-ins when the guy went 143 miles an hour away from the cops with kids in the back seat and loaded weapons. I love how you dismissed it as, eh, you know, he had his issues. I love I love, no, the, I, I love the issue dismissal of the guy going on a high speed chase at 140 with a 12 year old in the back. Oh, but don't but don't get me wrong. I am not as as a father. Um, I don't think that that is appropriate at all. I don't think that any of that. And my, I think the reason why I said issues is just because it's well known. Yeah. So it wasn't to it wasn't to downplay it by any means. I personally think that. Um, Maybe the maybe his you know the suspension you know what he's gonna I hope he learns from it um, I hope you know he you know not to get off on a tangent he's following along lines of of some other people who've come out of Missouri that have and also some other people who have that sense of entitlement you know he said you know he got 
he got the game he got the suspension for you know his four game suspension and then he went off and had a bad day and it's like you can't afford to do that and you definitely cannot afford to be driving 143 miles an hour i think there's i think he was very lucky and hopefully he doesn't have another situation that he learns and he grows from it um, and especially with the fact that he's looking to go and look at a long-term contract. You know, I mean, that really hampered a lot of his efforts. Um, again, but to answer your question, I don't think that you minimize that at all. I, I, that was a very serious issue, and I think he's just lucky that um, it's only a four-game suspension. I personally think it should be longer. Um, I want to stick on the sack statistic just for a second again. Uh, Gino was sacked 43 times, 43 times in 2013 and 28 times in 2014. So clearly that offensive line got better. Is there proof out there or do you see the line making that next step and being a little bit more solid this year? You know, I do. I, you look at the Jets did go through some changes last year. Um, they brought in uh, Brino Giacomini uh, from Seattle last year, another Louisville uh, graduate. He came in to kind of learn the system. Um, but I think it was a lot difficult because the Jets really didn't have a passing game. So that, if you look at a lot of defenses, they were focusing on the rush, so they had more men in the box anyway. So I think a lot of times it was a case where the defenses were like, we're just going to run, we're just going to blitz run and come at them hard. And they, you know, a lot of the defenses had their ears, you know, defensive ends and defensive linemen had their ears pulled back. And once that happened, you know, it was kind of hard. I mean, you do have, in my mind, um, one of the consummate professionals uh, in um, Nick Mangold at center, and he's trying to anchor the line. You got the Brickishaw, you know, you had the Brickishaw Ferguson. Um, there were some other people that were coming in that uh, maybe it didn't maybe it didn't work as well. Uh, but you had some you, you, you have some uh, great pieces that are there. I think um, having Jeff Cumberland at tight end um, is going to is going to help at all. He's a big he's a great blocking tight end too. Um, so, but I also think that now with um, Eric Decker and uh, definitely. Um, Definitely with Brandon Marshall coming in to, to stretch that offense out, they're not going to focus so much on the run. I think that will help lessen the number of sacks that will happen this year. How well do you think Todd Bowles will be in his first season as a head coach? I think he's going to do well. I mean, is he going to win the Super Bowl? No. Um, can they make the playoffs? Possibly. Um, but... And I say possibly because the, the AFC East in general got better. And I'm not saying that because number 12 in New England isn't going to be on the field for four games or however long, whatever. I'm not even going to get into all of that. But I'm saying all the other teams have raised the bar to go after them. Miami got better um, as well. And even Buffalo has gotten better. So it's, it's a very competitive division. Um, do I think that the Jets make the playoffs? Possibly. But do I think they have a better record than they did last year? Absolutely. All right, real quick, Terry, before we get you out of here, piggybacking on a year from where the Jets, and like you just touched on it, despite finishing 4-12, and 12, the defense actually finished 6th in yards allowed. Do you mm -hmm. see this as a year where somehow things might pull together despite the not-so-hard loss of Geno Smith? Can they, can they pull this together? 
Oh, I think they could definitely pull it together. I think they have the ability to go um, to go far. Uh, it's just a matter of how well they come together as a team and don't allow these distractions of uh, personalities and and bad choices. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm just trying to say I can't think of it, for lack of a better word, distractions of poor choices and everything else um, uh, get into it. I think uh, Todd Bowles, in addition to the new general manager, both have a new, they're both New Jersey, New Jerseyites. So they're used, to, they're not going to get caught up in the drama. They're not going to get caught up in the glitz and glamour. They know what they're walking into. Um, what Rex Ryan did is Rex Ryan came in there and he tried to take the bullets for the lack of performance on the field. He would be the guy that would be the fall guy. Um, I definitely think Woody Johnson is at a point, the owner is at a point where he's wanting to see results. And so I think he's laid down these expectations of we knew where we came from, we know where we want to go, and I definitely think that you know they're going to be on the path. Um, I definitely see them this year 8-8 um, eight and eight at a minimum. I think they go 500 as a minimum. Um, I, they could go more. It depends on how it works, but I definitely see at least eight wins in their future uh, in their season this year. Terry Bodie, the fan advocate. Terry, appreciate you stopping by, bud. Talking a little New York Jets football. It's a pleasure to have you on, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Hey, my pleasure. Look forward to it, guys. Thank you so much. Continued success, continued blessings. God bless all y'all for listening, and uh, way to go, Triple Threat Talk. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Terry. We, we appreciate it, buddy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we have Kevin Noggle from the Finsider SB Nation talking Dolphins football. That's next. Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. A little Miami Vice action. Appreciate that, Trevor. That's good stuff rocking the boards there as always. And we want to welcome our next guest, talking a little Miami Dolphins football from the Finn Cider, SBNation.com, Mr. Kevin Noggle. Kevin, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well. Good intro music. Yeah, yeah. The our, uh, our producer is pretty good every once in a while. Sometimes he lacks off, but... Every once in a while, he nails it and gets it right. So I'm, I'm glad he did in this instance. So uh, so I guess my first question to you, um, with the signing of Ndamukong Sue this offseason, he led the Lions last year with their number one defense. And recently, Ndamukong Sue said in an interview, he believes that this Dolphins team has more talent on defense than that Lions team. So in saying that, do you think that this team could be the top five, if not the number one defense in the NFL this season? I think they definitely have the chance to do it. I think last year they were a top five team for like the first half, maybe two thirds of the season. And then it just all fell apart. 
and they hit Denver, and nothing seemed to work anymore. The run defense fell apart. They couldn't get after quarterbacks. They couldn't do anything. I think you add Sue in the middle there. That should absolutely solve the run defense issue. And then the cornerbacks look to be a little more mature. I mean, Brent Grimes obviously is a pro bowler, but Jamar Taylor coming up on the other side, assuming that his leg injury is uh, healthy by the time the season starts, he should be ready to go on the other side. So I do. I think that this defense is going to be what carries the Dolphins. So speaking of defense, I want to keep on the defensive uh, discussion just for a second. I'm of the belief. Now, Devontae Parker is a huge uplift offensively. Um, And, you know, being ranked 20th in points given up last year, uh, 12th on yards, though, so a little bit better in yards given up on the defensive side of things. Uh, They were ranked 11 and 14 in points and yards offensively. So much better offensively than defensively last year. With that being said, um, are, are there more people in the Miami Dolphins camp that suggest maybe they should have gone with a Kevin Johnson instead of letting him go 16th to the Texans instead of using a pick on what appeared to be at, le- at the very least uh, middle of the pack offense? I don't think so. Everything leading up to the draft said the Dolphins need to look receiver more because I think a big part of it was after they cleaned house and they traded away Mike Wallace and all that. But even before that, it seemed like the Dolphins needed something. They needed something on offense to spark Tannehill to get that offense over the hump. And Tannehill and Wallace just never seemed to click. It just seemed like Tannehill doesn't throw the greatest, most accurate deep ball. And Wallace doesn't correct to a deep ball that's not straight on line. So they just were off. And I think a lot of people expected Miami to look if one of the top receivers, and obviously Parker was sitting there, if one of them was still there, that's where they were looking. If it wasn't there, they were probably looking either defensive tackle, and then they signed Indomitian Sue, and that changed all that. But they were either looking defensive tackle or offensive line. And then, obviously, Parker was there. They made that pick. And I think it was probably the right pick to make. In saying that, last year, Ryan Tannehill improved his stats from his rookie season. He threw three more touchdowns. He cut down his interceptions by five. Do you think that can, that his progress will continue in season three? And is Tannehill the long-term answer for this Dolphins team? I think I think he is. I absolutely think that things are going to continue to move up for him. He has, I think it's a 126.9 passer rating in the preseason, and obviously that's preseason, so take it for what it's worth. But he, he's come in looking like he's in control of this offense. This is his second year in Bill Lazor's offense. He seems to fully grasp it. He seems to be making great decisions. Even on some of the incomplete balls, it seems like he is putting the ball exactly where it needs to go to make sure a defender can't get it and give his receiver a chance to make a play. Where does how where does Devontae Parker rank in this wide receiver core as well as how has he looked coming off the foot injury along with guys like Kenny Stills, obviously. You have Greg Jennings coming in, Jarvis Landry returning. Where does he look to rank amongst the pecking order of targets for Tannehill going into the season? It's hard to say right now. He looked good, I mean really good in – the off-season workouts when it was t-shirts and shorts, 
he had uh, he had foot surgery again in June, yeah. and he started training camp on the physically unable to perform list. They went in and they replaced a screw that was rubbing, apparently. So apparently, from what everybody says, that as soon as it's healed, this is a one-time thing. It's not a, he re-injured it. It was just a, that screw had to be changed out, and so his foot will be healthy. He just has to get back on the field. He started running uh, last week. He went. He was in full pads today, but he didn't participate in drills. So he's progressing. I think by the time the season starts, he'll be back into playing time. He's probably sitting there behind Jennings, Landry, and uh, Stills right now. Um, Rashard Matthews will probably take some early playing time from Parker as he gets fully into shape. By the end of the season, he's probably ahead of Stills behind Jennings and Landry and pushing for next year to take uh, Jennings' spot as the top receiver. So, I, you know, bringing Greg Jennings in, by the way, to this offense was a, was an absolute genius move because, you know, the this receiving core as a whole with Ryan Tannehill as quarterback is is pretty young. So, you know, bringing that veteran Greg Jennings in was a stroke of genius bringing him in. Um, so that part, undoubtedly, how much how much of that of, of Greg Jennings being a fantastic veteran out there on free agency and also drafting Devonte Parker for him to kind of learn from Greg Jennings. Was any of that a deciding factor in bringing Greg Jennings or was it just so happened or was it just like, Oh, Hey, Greg Jennings is out on free agency. Let's reach out to him. Probably right in the middle. I don't think it was a designed. We have to go get Greg Jennings because when he was, a free agent a couple years ago and Joe Philbin, who was his offensive coordinator in green Bay had an opportunity to go get him then and didn't, they didn't want anything to do with him. And then this year they did, they picked up Parker and they traded away Wallace and they brought in Kenny stills from new Orleans. And suddenly you had this wide receiver core that appears to have a lot of talent, but didn't have that number one guy. And at that point, I think the coaches went, you know what? Jennings is still out there. Let's go get him. Let's bring him in, plug him in as that mentor veteran who maybe by the end of the year, he's not the number one guy, but he's there to mentor and to teach. And I think that was a key part of why they went after Jennings. Was last year Lamar Miller a flash in the pants, or can we expect to see another Lamar Miller 16 games, 1,000 yards, at least, or maybe more than 1,000 yards, hopefully, since thousand yards is really only 60 yards a game. It's not as important as it once was. <laughs> Does Lamar Miller now with some of the, the threats of the, 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 the Daniel Thomas rumors that seem to be swirling constantly every preseason with the, with the uh, Dolphins last couple years, is that gone now and is, is his show? I think it's his show. I think Damian Williams showed a lot this last preseason game that he's ready to be the number two guy. I think it's absolutely Lamar Miller's show. The question just becomes, I think it was 12 and a half, maybe 13 and a half. I can't remember the number for sure. Carries per game last year. And that's where the coaches left him. I think his high was 18 carries in a game. I don't think he ever got to 20. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if that was a coaches wanted to make sure that he stayed fresh. So they kept his carries countdown. I don't know if that was a, they didn't trust him to go over that. So it'll be interesting to see as this year progresses, are they giving him the ball more, or are they going, 
okay, you've gotten your 12 to 15 carries. It's time for Damian Williams to take some. Either way, I think Miller is probably another 1,000-yard rusher. He, he can run with power, but he runs more speed-wise, which you saw last year on the 97-yard touchdown run. But I think that when they get down close to the goal line, you're going to start to see either them looking to the tight ends on short passes or you're going to try to see somebody like either Jay Ajayi or Damian Williams come in for the short carries. How uh, how important is it that the uh, Dolphins' offensive line is getting Brandon Albert back from injury towards ACL last season? He's back this season. Do you is that definitely going to improve and help Tannehill during this season? I know he's likely not going to be able to play this this week's preseason game, but he should be ready to go by week one. What's your What's right. your thoughts on him? I feel like this is the same conversation we've had every year leading into the season, no matter who I'm talking to. The offensive line keeps being the question mark. And no matter what the Dolphins seem to do, there's still a question mark. And this year the question mark is obviously Albert and then the guards. Dallas Thomas appears to be solidifying into that right guard position. Billy Turner at the left guard is still a question mark. And that may be what is the biggest sigh of relief as Albert comes back because you do you plug in that pro bowler now you have a pro bowl left tackle you have a pro bowl center in Mike Pouncey with Billy Turner in the middle learning and starting to develop himself this is he's a second year player so he still has some growing to do but he hasn't looked horrible but he's definitely a question mark still so Albert coming back and yeah I don't think he'll be back this week um the concern is Jason Fox, who has been the second-string left tackle, is out with a concussion right now. Whether he'll be ready by Saturday, I don't know. If he's not, they're looking at Dallas Thomas coming from right guard, swinging over to left tackle and starting the game, which you're now on your third-string left tackle with your starting quarterback in there to do the dress rehearsal game. So there's some concerns this week, too. But by the time we get to week one, I think Albert will be back, and then you will have an offensive line that should be able to solidify protect Tannehill, and actually get Lamar Miller some running lanes. And you kind of touched on my next question, and my co-host, you know, brought this point up earlier as well. But, you know, when he asked if Tannehill was the long-term solution, uh, Tannehill was sacked 46 times last year. And like I said, this is definitely piggybacking onto that offensive line question you were just touching on. Um, What is it going to – at what point are the owners and the coaching staff – willing to give Tannehill to to see what he can actually do because 46 last year is still much better than 58 the year before. 58 so, the year before, you know, yep. Yeah, when, when, you're, when you're running for your life, it, it, it's got to be noted and it's got to be hard to see that, um, that what you can actually do as a quarterback. So what, at, what point, uh, at what point is it going to take for everyone to say, okay, hold up, this is the real Ryan Tannehill? Because clearly – Running for his life, we haven't seen that yet. I think, I think it's this year. I think this offensive line comes together. I think Billy Turner will be okay. I think Dallas Thomas will be okay on the other side. Jawan James coming into his second year now will play right tackle, and they won't move him back to left tackle like they did last year when Albert got hurt. So I think the offensive line starts to gel, and you start to see Tannehill, who, again, going back to it's preseason, but that's all we have right now. He seems to be stepping up in the pocket a little bit more than he used to. 
hopefully that continues. Um, I think a big part of what happened last year and finally got him comfortable was Bill Lazor just took the handcuffs off of him and said, hey, look, if you have to make a play with your legs, do it. And this is the guy who was such an athlete in college. While he was the backup quarterback, he was starting at wide receiver. So they, he has the legs. He has the ability to make the play. They started to free him up to do that, and I think it made him more comfortable. So you start to see him as a little bit better of a passer because they're letting him run more. No playoff appearances since 2008. That only the playoff appearance since 2001, which does is weird for me to say growing up in the Don Shula and Dan Marino prime days as well, <laughs> watching the Dolphins on a regular basis. That being said, year four, Joe Philbin, is this make or break year? Absolutely. I think it is absolutely. Now, I will caveat that with if the Dolphins come out nine and seven or 10 and six and don't make the playoffs for whatever reason, I. I'd probably say he's still there next year because the team is still showing progress. Well, I mean, but well, I really first of all, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but when did Mike Brown buy this team? I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, at what point did they just realize that eight and eight was okay and we'll just let them keep going? I mean, um, <laughs> I think I think a big part of that is that Stephen Ross is a loyal guy. He he believes in the people he picks, and he gets loyal to them, and it's loyalty almost to a fault. Yeah. And I think that. Eight and eight last year, it hurt. It sucked. That team looked like it was going to the playoffs, and suddenly they fell apart and they ended up at eight and eight again. Third place in the division. But at the same time, there were so many sparks and so many what ifs. And against Detroit, against Green Bay, games that they could have won and let the opponents come back right at the end. So there were, there were sparks there that I, I think that's what ended up letting Philbin keep his job one more year and see if he can finally put it all together. In, in saying that, uh, i got to ask you, looking at this Dolphins roster, if you're putting together a fantasy team, who would be your picks as far as first-round, maybe second-round draft picks off this squad to take in your fantasy draft? Probably my top pick off the Dolphins is going to be Lamar Miller. And I'm probably going about third round. Okay. Um, I absolutely will take Ryan Tannehill. I'm I'm one of these guys that believe you don't take a quarterback till you're the last one taking a quarterback. And usually Tannehill, Eli Manning, Tony Romo, those type of guys are sitting there. And I'll absolutely take Tannehill then. Um, probably Miller's my first pick. I wouldn't be against taking Jarvis Landry, especially if you're in a uh, points per reception league. I think he's going to break the team record of 90 receptions this year. So I think there's some players in there. I'm probably not taking anybody that early, though. I know injuries is always a question with this guy, but Charles Clay last year in his in this tight end position was a PPR monster. He didn't do a lot yeah. with those catches, but he was a PPR monster. He's one of the reasons why some commissioners don't like the PPR rule, but that's no here <laughs> or there. Jordan Cameron, though, I mean, obviously can stretch the field a lot more. I don't know if there's some kind of health issue I'm not aware of, but – where, where does he impact on this team? Because he's one name I'm surprised that you didn't hear you mention when you talked to fantasy football guys. He's kind of a little strange right now. The <laughs> offense hasn't seemed to go to him at all. And it hasn't been an injury issue. It hasn't been anything. It just seems like he'll maybe get a catch or a look here or there, but it just seems like the offense isn't trying to get him the ball yet. Uh, Deion Sims, the second string tight end, who's been there for a little while now, so he has a rapport with, Ryan Tannehill, he's probably been targeted a little more than Cameron. 
that being said, I think by the probably middle of the season, you see them start to pick up and Cameron become more of a focus. So final uh, thought here before we get you out. What is your final prediction for the Dolphins this season? Uh, do you think they make the playoffs or, or do they fall just short? I think the team has the talent to go 10-6. and six. My prediction would probably be 9-7. and seven. And if you're looking at 9-7 and seven in the AFC, you're probably right there on the borderline for that sixth and final playoff spot. I think they can make it. I think it all depends on actually how the Bills end up playing. Because if the Bills put it all together and Rex Ryan can get that defense going, that becomes two really hard games for the Dolphins. If they aren't quite there, the quarterback situation doesn't fluff out, the Dolphins probably can pick up those two wins, and that might actually be the difference between a playoff berth and sitting at home again. All right. Kevin Noggle from the Finsider. You can check his work out there. The uh, managing editor for the Finsider, SB Nation. Kevin, appreciate you stopping by, talking a little Dolphins football with us. Appreciate it very much. Thank you guys very much. Anytime. All right. That's Kevin Noggle from the Finsider, SB Nation. And we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Chris Carter and why he thinks organized crime is an okay thing. That's coming up next. 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW, Triple Threat Talk. We'll be right back. Question. Warren and Chris is where you get answers. And just in case y'all not going to decide to do the right thing, if y'all got a crew, you got to have a fall guy in the crew. <laughs> Teddy, come here, man. Teddy, come here, man. Come here, man. Come here, bro. <laughs> come here. Now, if they gonna keep rolling on Teddy's bankroll, because each one of y'all in business for yourself, this right here is Teddy Bridgewater Inc. Incorporated. That's him. Now, every dime that come into Teddy, all right, is gonna be earned by him and his body. All right? Now, I let my homeboys know. Y'all want to keep rolling like this? Then I need to know who's going to be the fall guy, who's going to be driving, because y'all not going to all do the right stuff now. All right? So I got to teach y'all how to get around all this stuff, too. If you're going to have a crew, one of them fools got to know he going to jail. We'll get him out. We'll get him out. Now, I mean, you're from Miami now. Okay? I, I get it, I Y'all guess. Care but of each other. Really? Welcome back here on Triple Threat Talk 1450, the Sports Buzz WXVW. That, of course, the infamous clip that has sparked a wildfire in the sports world this past week. It was from the 2014 Rookie Symposium when Chris Carter said, quote, uh, it's in their best interest to have a fall guy in their crew, one man that's willing to take the rap, and even go to jail to keep that player out of trouble. We'll get, we'll get him out in the morning, Warren Sapps. <laughs> we'll get you out. But one of y'all going to jail. I'm oh just keeping shit. it real. I'm one not, of y'all going to jail. Yeah, he, he's keeping it real, all right. You want to, and, and you know what? As I said earlier in the week, that's their job. They want they want to roll around with Teddy Inc. They want, they want to be the benefit of not having to work and get to live the lifestyle that Teddy Inc. is bringing them because he's working. So, Guess what? Your job is to go to jail if we get pulled over. So, so you're saying you agree with this, Trevor? 
Oh, yeah, of course I agree with it. Now, did, did, did the NFL want it to come out? Hell no. No, they don't, because it, it makes them look like they're saying, it's okay to, to ignore and be responsible for your problems as long as you got somebody to fall <laughs> back on it. We don't care if you're going to drive around drunk. Just don't let it be you. Be your homie from the hood. We don't care about that. So, no, but, yes, of course you have to know that. I mean, that's just that's that's like the unwritten rule of the old days in terms of, you know, there's always unwritten rules in every sport. And in the NFL, for rookies, the unwritten rule is, you know, there's a fall guy. You want to – I mean, we haven't we seen it in ballers enough this one season? Yeah, I mean, I get it. I guess there could be a quote-unquote fall guy. But don't broadcast it where somebody can see it. And, you know, obviously it was from 2014 and it's just coming out now. Yeah. But there's certain things, especially somebody of Chris Carter's stature. I mean, Who needed a fall guy on top of it. Well, yeah, true. And Warren Sapp really needed a fall guy six <laughs> yeah, months later. People yeah. that needed a fall guy, he's in the top yeah, five, which, I would which, imagine. Which the best part of that video, if you watch it, is Warren Sapp's expressions and like just giggles in the background and right. everything Chris Carter's saying. Because he knows it's true, though. I, I mean, mean, I mean, listen, of all the, of the percentage of, of rookies coming in, I'd be willing to bet you. I mean, less than, than 5% are he's really talking to them. I mean, right. Teddy Bridgewater is a good kid. Teddy Bridgewater, probably somebody that really doesn't fall under the the, the needing of a fall guy. But James Blackman, Josh Gordon, yeah. Sheldon Richardson, clearly. I mean, these are people, of course, you need to tell Sheldon Richardson the fall guys to at least be of age if you're going to have that happen to you. Exactly. But, I mean, these are people that, I mean, there's that's one of the small percentage of people that come through. Because the NFL, listen, the NFL doesn't, they wanted Chris Carter to say this. They just didn't want it to come out. They wanted him to do it off the record. They've already admitted to that. Right. Because you know what happens if Teddy Bridgewater is arrested or any other players arrested in the NFL? It not only makes the player look bad, it makes the NFL look bad. It does. You know, it makes them look, it's a black eye on them if but, one of their players gets caught doing something. Here's the thing. My thing with this is look at all the stuff that has happened that has come out over the last year or two. So are we saying that yeah, here. Ray Rice should have a fall guy? Well, I think for that, I hitting think his fiance, wife. I think the fiance was the fall kind. Of <laughs> oh, wow. 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 But, part of me knew that was coming. I know. Part of me. Too bad the same thing. So, I mean, should. But here's the thing. Should, here's the thing, though. How about, how about we teach these role models, and I'm using finger quotes because you can't see it because I'm on Skype, but how about we, we teach these role models to be outstanding young gentlemen? I mean, how about we teach them to actually be role models? God forbid you can still out and go out and have a good time, break law, and not break any laws. I'm, I'm in a tropical paradise right now, and these players can afford – Four, five, six times what my family can afford going on this vacation. Here's the here's the thing, though. I'm out in a tropical paradise. I'm having the time of my life. What what happened to just going out, hanging out with your friends, not making a scene? Why do you have to go out and make an ass out of yourself in order to be, uh, in order to quote unquote have a good time? They don't need a fall guy. They need to be better behaved. You know what I find funny is that you saying you're having the time of your life and your lady friend's not there. That scares no, me. Well, no, no. I mean, she knows I'm having a good time. I'll talk to her every day down here. But here, don't here's try the- to don't try to put me on the hot seat now. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I understand. I'm not saying that you should have a fall. I mean, I'm not saying Aaron Hernandez. 
doesn't need to have a fall guy, which he probably needed to have one, but he didn't have oh, one, unfortunately. If, if anybody in the history yeah. of the NFL needed a fall guy. <laughs> but here's the thing. With some of these athletes, and in some cases, some of them are put in situations where it's not even their fault. People are going to challenge you. People are going to try to get you in trouble. People are going to do things to you. If you're just out having a time trying to mind your own business with you and four or five of your friends or whomever who you might be with, another group, there's going to be times where people are going to try to, to, to ad- aggressively attack you or come at you and probably put you in situations that can get you in trouble. Now, also, on the other hand, you know what? I mean, they're also kids. I mean, yes, you're you're not breaking any laws down there, but you know what? I'm going to break three laws driving home right now. I won't tell you which three they will be, and oh, hopefully it'll get pulled over, <laughs> but I'm breaking three laws pulling home, driving home when I leave this station, and I'm not hurting anybody, but, you know, if I was an NFL athlete and I wanted to have that particular vice that allowed me to uh, break a law while driving home, you know what? If, if I'm with my buddy – or vice versa, I'm the buddy and my buddy is the NFL player, then yeah, he, you need to have somebody to, to take the heat in that little small situation. We're talking about smaller things necessarily, I think Chris Carter is, opposed to like bigger things like but, you know running around 145 miles an hour. But he doesn't say that. But he doesn't he say doesn't that, say that in his comments. Well, he I doesn't think he's say... hopingly assuming they have common sense. Well, they don't. They don't. Come on. Look, look at... Look at Josh Gordon. Look at Warren Sapp. You know, look at look at Aaron Hernandez. All these people clearly top name athletes. All of them clearly had no common sense. Well, Warren and Sapp just refused to pay a prostitute. I mean, who hasn't done that? <laughs> well, Raise your hand. I got mine up. <laughs> it's. I mean, okay, okay. Replace replace that with Michael Vick. Then Re- replace him with Michael Vick. Clearly, nobody nobody that's committed these crimes has had a shred of common sense. So you can't say the common right. sense is implied because they're not showing it. And unfortunately, so, and unfortunately, you know, Vick though on National Dog Day, you bring that up was more. He was the fall guy for for the trying to make a. a, a an example out of uh, of what the crime was done. I mean, in terms of the, yeah, but the, he did it, so it doesn't. Well, matter. he wasn't even there though. I mean, he was never there. I mean, he just supposedly funded it. it. Was at a house he owned. Regardless, he funded it, so he's yeah. he's the kingpin behind it. He, yeah. He's the kingpin so, behind. So, so are you going to say okay? So let me just use you as an example, Trevor. Let's say you funded a illegal uh, cockfighting ring, but you were never oh, there. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Sh- sh- should you, shouldn't you be uh, charged? Well, I hope not, because I do do that. So, <laughs> by the way, if you happen to be out uh, Germantown around 2 a.m., come by and knock three times before to get in. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, no, but I mean, that's the reason you'd want a fall guy. That's a good example of a fall guy for something like that. Listen, I think it's you need. Okay, to kinda... so in saying that, then how much is a fall guy worth to you? Well, ask the guy that's the fall guy. No, you, no, you... no, no, no. If 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 it's your click, if it's Trevor Inc. Okay, and, and you're the, the one NFL. making all this money, and, I get, and, I get, and you and got a fall guy. How much is a fall guy worth? The to you? lifestyle of living my lifestyle. That's what it is. Because you know what, you're gonna get the charges we're talking about getting like getting pulled over for maybe a, pos- a little bit of possession of some weed and maybe some alcohol in the car, or maybe you're drunk. That's not. That's listen. That's a, you're doing. Wait, one night in jail. Like what's that? We'll get you out the next morning. And you do a couple of community service, but you know what? You go back to living a, lot, a very nice okay. lifestyle with your NFL buddy than you probably would living in, you know, somewhere in the ghetto of South Florida. So, so in saying that, you you mentioned driving while drunk or something like that. Yeah. How how can there be a fall guy if he's driving? Yeah, switch seats real quick. That's true. That happens. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could. Hey, I'm a, a big guy, thing. and I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a real thing. 
I, people I, do that. I, I, I just don't agree with it, I guess. I, 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 I don't either. And, you know, the fact that Chris Carter even said this, first and foremost, he's an idiot. I mean, you can call you can call it whatever you want to call it. He's an idiot for even saying that because these things don't need to be said to young kids. Yes, they are young, and yes, they are young men. But you know what? They're still learning. That's why we put young rookies behind veterans because they are still learning in life you think you think the fact you know what what they were talking about earlier do you think Devonte parker being put behind greg jennings isn't by design Devonte parker still a very very impressionable young man being taught by one of the greatest receivers in the game today i mean these people still have things that they have to teach and these young men still have things that they have to learn and chris carter even though it was meant in jest is an absolute moron for even bringing it up and that's not up I, for debate i mean it's a fact i agree with your pretense but i disagree with the fact that greg jennings is one of the best wide receivers in the game no, today greatest. greatest i should say he's not the greatest well, you said, said he was one of the best. Greatest. I wouldn't say. Well, I, I, meant, I disagree. I meant to say one of the best. Maybe I should have said one of the best. Yeah, I think you should have too. Uh, I, I, <laughs> he's not one of the greatest. I I retract. He's he's one of one of the best. He's so, a he's a good wide receiver. But I know. See, listen. I don't think for one, the NFL told Chris Carr to do this. I mean, they they, they wanted to get off the record. But I mean, just kids are going to be kids. These are still kids, and they're going to make mistakes. And you know what? If you don't, you shouldn't be in today's age, especially the way we just jump on people like no, with no business whatsoever, and the hypocrites of the, the, the Twitter world and the social media rule the world in terms of public uh, uh, taking some out by public instead of actually taking them to court. Then yeah, you need. I, don't, I see no problem with telling you. You know what? If you're going to make a mistake, and kids are going to make mistakes, you should get a second chance. And in some cases, in today's society, we don't believe in second chances. Then you know what? Have a fall guy, and I have no problem with that whatsoever. All right. You know- Part part of that is right. I mean, you know, you, you've also got to take into account, you know, fact checking because you definitely want to fact check things because if not, you end well, up with course. situations like like we had earlier today. I'm not going to give that piece of garbage the the tra- the the recognition that he was searching for. But before the man was actually named, there was a false name being floated around Twitter and social media. And for about six or seven hours, the man's name who was out there was a living hell for no particular reason other than the fact that somebody thought it was him and did no absolute fact-checking or due diligence. So, you know, it's it's one of those things to say, you know, go out and do this and have a fall guy. But, you know, you've also got to you've also got to have your own common sense and you've also got to have your own fact checking. You know, you don't just because you're an athlete doesn't mean it's a fact that you get to go out and do whatever you want. I mean, I just think it's a disgrace what Chris Carter said. And in a society today where we're where we're penalizing people for what they say on air and there have been instances upon instances, I think Chris Carter definitely needs to be suspended for a little bit. I, I don't think that's out of the question. And I, I think that's my point, too, is the fact that, you know, you're basically saying it's okay to go out and get in trouble because somebody's going to do the time for you, and that's pretty ridiculous. So with that, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, our last break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little uh, wrestling. But before that, i uh, got a little rant I want to go on involving a tragic situation that happened this past weekend. So that's all coming up next. Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. We'll be right back.
It's like everywhere I listen and everywhere I go I'm hearing somebody trying to steal my flow But it ain't no thing Cause see my homie Coolio Put me up on the game when I step through the door You know, some of these fools are so deceptive Using my styles like a contraceptive I hope you get burnt Seems you haven't learned It's the knick-knack paddy whack I still got the biggest sack So put your gun away, run away Cause I'm back Welcome back get here on up, Triple Threat up, Talks 1450 The Sports Buzz WXVW Little Snoop Dogg on National Dog Day See, Snoop Dogg needed a fall guy too When he got accused of murder Was the case that they gave him Straight out of excuses Yeah <laughs> <laughs> He needed one too. Uh, absolutely, we all need a fall guy. I've got a fall guy. Do you really? Yeah. Who's your fall guy? It's, it's coffee, isn't it? No, it's, it's actually coffee. you. I just haven't told Is you it? yet. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the name I give cops when I get pulled over. <laughs> Seems reasonable enough. Seems reasonable enough. So, this past weekend uh, in the IndyCar Series race at Pocono Speedway, Justin Wilson. Uh, was fatally struck in the head by flying debris. Now, keep in mind, he had his helmet on. He was not even involved in the accident. He was behind the accident uh, going down the straight. The debris flew up, hit him, you know, full force in the helmet. Uh, He then, in turn, of course, uh, was knocked out, crashed, hit the wall, and unfortunately fatally succumbed to his injuries uh, the following day on Monday. Now that is that has raised a big question and a question that has hampered uh, a lot of people over the years and that is does IndyCar and Formula 1 as a whole need to do away with these open air cockpits? Do they new need a closed cockpit or some kind of cage or some kind of mechanism to protect these drivers more than what they have? And the answer to that is yes. If if this isn't enough to wake the folks up with IndyCar and Formula One, I don't know what is. February 18th, 2001, NASCAR lost its greatest driver ever in Dale Earnhardt Sr. on a last lap turn four crash at Daytona. And after his death, NASCAR has seen the biggest improvements in safety and improvements in everything since his death. Uh, and in this case with Justin Wilson, if this doesn't wake him up and realize the time for change is now. I mean, this has happened now twice in the last year uh, that this has happened where someone has been struck by flying debris of their own undoing that they did not do. Uh, so I, I, I think IndyCar really needs to step forward. They need to do the right thing. And sooner rather than later, they need to do something. I don't know if maybe you can put a cage over the cockpit. I don't know how it would work aerodynamically. Can we get that thing they put the Pope in? Like the, the Pope mobile. Like the dome. They put the man of the Pope. Maybe I put mean, that on there. I mean, well, here, here's the thing, though, Jimmy. You're, you're absolutely right. Not only would it make sense from a safety standpoint, it would make sense from an economic standpoint as well. And this is what I'm talking about. When you enclose a cockpit, okay, of any kind, this is the dynamics of how an airplane works. Air goes over, and you know how the the Indy cars are flattened out with a point, kind of. It, it resembles a small aircraft. It, it does. So when you look at it, 
from an from from a scientific and economic uh, point of view, you have air traveling over, which is going to press down more on the car, and resu- uh, it's going to make the car go a faster, which is always exciting, and it's going to make it stick lower to the ground if that were even possible in this kind of a car because they're already pretty low to the ground. And here's the other thing: it's going to help economically because you know how they always say, "Don't roll uh, with your windows down." Uh, uh, whenever you can use an air conditioner because it affects your gas mileage. What do you think going 150, 160 miles around a circular track does as far as wind resistance on these cars? You have an awful lot of drag on those cars, and if you put a cockpit over that, that air, instead of gliding into the back, creating resistance, is going to glide over and create a little bit more of a of a faster situation, eliminating drag altogether. And right. it's going to be it's going to it's going to be a lot better on gas mileage as well. So you can save money and you can be safer at the same time. I think it's a win win. I, I normally don't really give two bleeps about the NASCAR talk here. Well, it's actually uh, IndyCar. It's same difference, <laughs> but it's four four wheels and they're going left. Really, is there really a difference? <laughs> uh, but I mean, aside from all the positives, Gary pointed out. You got to, I mean, one one death is enough. I mean, you can't, yes. you, and, that, and I don't know how many there have been. You just said there's well, one well, the, two the, now the last, in the last two years. There's been two in the last year. James Hinchcliffe with the, okay, uh, was the enough, other. He a, didn't die, but he was hospitalized. Okay, that's, either way, it's still enough to tell me, I mean, you've got you've got to do something safety-wise. Cause right. You, can, you need to worry less about the money you're going to save in terms of gas and worry about the money you're going to save paying mm-hmm. off the widows of this family's. That are apparently not that are that are passing away because mm-hmm. of your inability to keep them and, safe in a sport. And as I said in the beginning, in two thousand one, when Dale Earnhardt passed away, because of but him, that was a wreck. Wreck. That but, was him actually well, getting in a right, wreck. Right. Right. But what I'm saying is, accident. the 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 safety that has come out of that since was because of what happened to him. It took the biggest name in the sport getting killed in a race for NASCAR to finally wake up to do something. Which is weird and because they, and, that and, actually and, woke and up I, NASCAR as a national and, sport. And I hope, I hope IndyCar doesn't wait until somebody more prominent has something happen to him because Justin Wilson was a hell of a wheel man. He was a winning driver. He drove for Michael Andretti, one of the biggest names in IndyCar history. But he ain't Dale the Andretti. No, he's not. Yeah. But he's still no longer with us, yeah. and, and and it's still a sad situation, and it, they need to fix it, and they need to fix it right now. And here's the thing, too. NASCARs come quickly, more quickly in, in safety than, than the NFL has in such a short amount of time. In the 1960s, they were talking about people dying on the field. I mean, I was watching an NFL documentary when it was raining in here the other day. I didn't realize it was that bad. When in the 60s in the NFL, you were, you know, now we talk about concussions. How are we going to keep them safe from concussions? But the quote was back in the 60s, you were talking about people getting killed. So, you know, you know, NFL is slowly taking safety a little bit more seriously. NASCAR, you said NASCAR and racing in general, it, 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 it happens quickly and it has to. It's out of necessity, especially like you said, in these situations where it's happened before. And as Trevor pointed out, one is more than enough. But it also happens in in street rod in streetcar nationals, like with John Force and all them. Fans have been killed because right. of wheels falling off of these fast of these fast cars. So there's definitely some more safety they can do. But I think they're making the right strides. And you're absolutely correct. And when you say the IndyCar needs to make that logical next step.
step. I think they Absolutely. definitely need to enclose that I'm, cockpit. I mean, in 2011, when Dan Weldon died after striking the catch fencing, hitting his head on a fence post, uh, they uh, they implemented that new style indie car. So now with implementing that, which it is safer, but it's still not safe enough. They need they need to continue on with that next step and get that close cockpit, and they need to get that done ASAP for sure. So real quick here, we only got a couple minutes left, so uh, just kind of uh, real quick thought, and we'll start with you, Trev. What was the best thing you took away from SummerSlam weekend as a whole? Oh, wow. Um, does Saturday's event count? Yeah, I said the SummerSlam weekend as a whole. So Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Um, man, that's a t- that's actually kind of a tough question. A little bit, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you. it. Caught me off guard there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I guess in Welcome whole to triple threat talk where wrestling trips us up. Yeah, <laughs> normally it wouldn't because you I can't shut up about wrestling. But in this case, I just kind of I don't know. As a whole, um, the gimmicky stuff with with uh, John Stewart kind of annoyed me a little bit, even though it gave me a flashback to Bob Uecker days of rest, early WrestleManias, running around looking trying to find Vanna White, uh, and probably trying to find the under, the Brock Lesnar interview him. Um, but the, the the most impressive thing I think I walked away with was really NXT, the women's division on their pay-per-view. Not the SummerSlam version because I thought that was kind of cheesingly done. I know why they have been groups. It's to, to see who can kind of fade away and come out of the pack and be the Phoenix rising above the rest. and that's Like Seth look. Rollins. Or, or the Rock and Nation or a long list of – there's a long, long list of examples I can use for that reasoning. But uh, the, the the Bailey and Sasha match I thought was really good. I'm a big Sasha Banks fan, both in the ring and out of the ring, and uh, I, I thought that was an excellent match. I didn't like the whole four horsewomen uh, the curtain call thing. I thought it was che- a little cheesy done. And I don't like the breaking of KFAB. I've never been a fan of breaking of, of KFAB at any point during a match, so uh, I didn't like that as much. But uh, I thought it made sense and it was kind of cool that now you know because three of those girls are never going to be back on NXT. Right, uh, Doc. Um, you know, speaking of the women, uh, Becky Lynch, by the way, for, awesome. for those, oh, she, she's incredible. She's incredible in the looks department and in the talent department. And I specifically like her steampunk look. I, I just had to make reference of that yeah. because she, she's got that steampunk look going and that's awesome. I think my biggest takeaway was, uh, you had to be blind not to see that John Stewart was going to hit John Cena because that was probably the most poorly sold thing I've ever seen. But that being said, it was great to see Brock Lesnar and Undertaker in the main event and not Cena and Rollins. I thought that that was a fantastic, uh, fantastic choice of main event because that was the match everybody was kind of looking for. See, I disagree. Cena match was 10 times better, though. Undertaker's done. Undertaker is just done, dude. It's just it's almost sad watching him try to be out there. My 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 two favorite things were the Dudley Boys coming back on Raw to the uh, uh, full time deal. They signed a full time multi year contract, so they're going to be back full time on on uh, wrestling. Thank God we won't see the most Matadors anymore. Hopefully. I know, right? And then the fact of uh, Sting coming back as well, so that that's going to be good as well. So for that, uh, I want to thank uh, all of our guests that have joined us tonight. Uh, talking a little football. It was fun previewing the AFC East. Next week, we move to the NFC East, where we talk about some Eagles team that we really don't care to talk about, but well, I guess E-A-G-L-E-S, we'll talk about it. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles fly, Eagles fly, <laughs> on the road to victory. Uh, Doc, enjoy the rest of your vacation, buddy. Safe travels thank home. Thank you, and I want to I thank Errol by the Sea for letting me use this clubhouse. I got to uh-huh. say that. And come see Errol by the Sea for all your vacation needs. Make sure you put on sunscreen, man. You're paler than Casper. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>
And for that, I want to thank TK working the boards tonight. Trevor, thank you as always, sir. Good stuff from you. And for myself, Jimmy Biggers, Postmaster Jones, we will see you next week right here on Triple Threat Talk, 1450 The Sports Buzz, WXVW. Good night, everybody.